You're listening to a download from the outdoorstation.co.uk. Number 302. Welcome back to what probably will be the final episode from here in Friedrichshafen, the huge European fair taking place down here on the uh, lake's shore of Lake Constance. Uh, and um, as you've probably picked up from the previous uh, previous pieces, previous podcasts, uh, there's an awful lot going on, a uh, vast amount of halls, um, is it 12, 14 halls, each of which are huge, and uh, we certainly... Um, been very very grateful to have some lightweight footwear to keep our feet cool as we wandering up and down these very very hot uh, buildings the uh, the weather wasn't too good last night the the big party night which is the saturday night uh, usually is a, a massive um, uh, a case of all the international people in the uh, in the <laughs> in the wholesale retail um Network letting their hair down a bit, but uh, just at the point when it all was about to kick off, uh, the heavens opened and a, th- a summer thunderstorm uh, certainly unleashed its full power. So um, it was uh, not as quite as exciting as it uh, potentially could have been, um, but uh, exciting in a completely different way. Uh, but uh, Rose and I were actually shattered, so we actually headed back early, and uh, although we got soaking wet back to the campsite, we, um, we soon tucked in and actually were quite glad to, to get an early night. But anyway, what have we got for you uh, Well, on, th- on this particular episode? Well, I booked a few appointments with, uh, with people related to products I've seen, and I've got a very, very uh, uh, special appointment with uh, a company which uh, people will probably uh, start to become aware of in the UK, uh, namely Evenue from Japan. Although they're not actually displaying here, they've actually uh, booked a room uh, to meet all their distributors and the press uh, and so on. And uh, I've, uh, I'm hoping to catch up with them a bit later on this afternoon. Uh, another person uh, which... Uh, I think will be of great interest to, to a lot of the, the UK lightweight market is Dale Caracostas and he's the director of Tents and Shelters for Cascade Designs um, and the MSR stand has certainly got a few interesting new products which uh, will be coming through which I'll um, have a chat with him about uh, but first of all I had an appointment with uh, Tammy Fairweather who is uh, the PR manager again from Cascade Designs uh, and they were showing uh, uh, well, quite a large range actually of hydration packs specifically from Platypus uh, and designed uh, differently this time from the hydration unit outwards as opposed from the pack and then finding a space to put the hydration unit. So I'll let uh, Tammy Fairweather pick up the story and I had a, a good conversation with her about uh, what, this new, what this new range contains. We consider ourselves experts in hydration. We, we think, our, especially our Big Zip SL Reservoir is one of the best ones available. As far as standard features in a reservoir, you have the quick release valve, you have the wide mouth opening so you can fill it easily, you can clean it easily, you have taste-free film, and, um, and you can see through it so you can see what's going on in your water bladder <laughs> if you need to. So we, in studying and making hydration, hydration reservoirs, we've used a lot of packs. And what we've realized is that most of the time the, the hydration re- reservoirs are actually an after afterthought. Yeah, yeah, you put yeah. it in. So we decided there was an opportunity really and a need to build a pack around the hydration. So starting with superior hydration and making a designated side of the pack for the hydration and then adding the gear and the pack around that. 
Okay, so I mean, we've got a, a range of sizes here. And is that's the smallest there? Is it three liter? It's three liter. It's called the. They're all called the Origin Platy- Platypus Can Origin Pack. Just stop you there. Now, does that three liter include the literage of the water, or is that it additional two? Yeah, it's called the Origin Three because it's three liters, and that's designating the gear storage. So the three liters is the is the size that you have all for gear. That does not include the two liters of um, hydration reservoir that you have available, but you can also fit a three liter. Um, platypus big zip SL in there too okay so if I can just repeat that so I've got it clear in my mind sure all the packs come with a 2 litre big mouth system most of them depending on the size the origin 3 which is a 3 litre comes with a 2 litre reservoir Mm -hmm. the origin 5 which is 5 litres gear storage comes with a 2 litre then you go up to the other day pack which is the origin 9 it's 9 litres of gear but it has a 3 litre reservoir in it and then the larger 2 packs which are the origin 22 and the origin 32 uh, the 22 comes with a 2-liter reservoir, and the 32 comes with a 3-liter le- reservoir. Okay. Although that's what it comes with, that's mm-hmm. what it's sold with, all of them can, can accommodate a 3-liter reservoir. So 3 liters of, of liquid, obviously, I presume then the target market are uh, uh, endurance runners, long-distance runners, uh, cyclists, that type of thing? Yes, yeah. And it's really based on how... It's, these are multi-sport packs. They're for anybody that needs hydration on their back, hands-free hydration. And really, they're built on how much time you might be out. So the 3-liter reservoir, the Origin 3, is for one to three hours and where the origin five is more for uh, two to four hours and then you get into more fast packing when you get into the larger day packs they could be you could do them overnight or even multi overnight with the 32 liter okay well could we take the 32 liter down and just have a look at that one And if you could just talk me through the various features, which they all share amongst the range. Um, But first thing I would say is that the 22-litre and 30-litre have got an additional helmet strap uh, attachment idea. They do. Uh, The others, uh, not quite, is that right? Oh, yeah, they've got attachment points on there as well. different kinds. Okay, but let's specifically talk about the 32-litre then. Sure, the 32-litre has um, two two gear pockets. One, One is the hydration storage compartment, and that's separated by a waterproof panel so if anything did happen perhaps if you were filling your reservoir in the pack and, and you missed the opening <laughs> you're gonna your gear is gonna be okay on the other side the additional benefit to that is if you have wet gear when you're done you can also store it in there when your bladder is empty um, and then the gear storage area is on the front of that right ahead of the hydration section and there's a um, internal organizer compartment that's built in with mesh so again if you need to put anything in there that might need to dry out well it's typical people who tend to put the keys and wallets yeah. and so on there, right things they? you yeah. can get in there quickly yeah and um the whole pack itself is made with weather resistant fabric which is unique to hydration packs as well because if you're out and, and you are, it is raining or even if you're wearing it on your back on a mountain bike you might get splashed with mud in this way it's going to keep everything clean and they're waterproof zippers as well kind of following that theme and then we have these great fast dash pockets, which are in every pack. And it's where you can follow, just follow your straps around your chest. And if you need to tuck something really quickly, you have that pocket to do yeah, that. The side pockets as well. Yeah. And then obviously for cyclists, there are a couple of reflective uh, attachment points. Here. Yes, yep, reflective. And this could be for your ice axe. Um, you can also, all of them are removable. That's another thing. I mean, we have them on here in case you need them, but you can remove them if you want to even save more weight and not have as many little gadgets hang off. Not that there's very many in yeah. the first place. No, no. <laughs> because well, you... that's the whole idea. We want to streamline these. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the one of the things that actually has uh, appealed to me most of all about these is the fact you're telling me they come in different back lengths. They do. Yes, actually, the two larger sizes, the Origin 22 and the Origin 32, come in two different torso lengths, and the larger size is actually adjustable. So you can, if you buy, it, it, we call them the. Um, 
the 3220 and the 3222. Those are the two different back lengths in inches. Um, but you can actually adjust the larger one so it's a little shorter. Because a, uh, a lot of active people tend to be on the taller size and uh, there mm-hmm. is a, a big bit of a frustration in the sense that uh, the back lengths tend to be, to be fixed. So it's, right. uh, it's nice to see that uh, manufacturers actually consider that, that uh, yeah. you know, tall people do ride bikes and so on. Exactly, that's true. And, and we worked really hard to make these very lightweight and comfortable too. There's a bio curve on the back so that it, it's um, easy on your back. It doesn't pressure too much into your um, backbone. On the top, satiatic bone, I guess is yeah. what it is. And, and there's an air channel going down the center as well. There is, yeah. And so with the lightweight, it's there's not a. We've worked really hard on these so that there's not pressure points. It's just a very comfortable pack that you can wear for a long period of time. Well, however long you're using yeah, <laughs> the yeah. pack that we have. In fact, our um, VP was just saying he just took it through the south of France and all over trains and everything. He said it's totally comfortable. <laughs> He's been really happy with it. And we've tested it extensively actually because we have a lot of people in house that have been desiring a pack like this yeah. since we're big hydration people <laughs> well there's not, nothing better than having demand from the uh, from the, the workforce is yeah there? exactly <laughs> uh, so one final question then uh, there's a range of colors here i can see on the wall in front of us and um, uh, what colors will we see in the uk and when will they be available um, they're going to be green blue and black in each of the five models and they'll be available in january 2011 you're listening to the outdoorsstation.co.uk Uh, one of the most interesting appointments I had this afternoon is with Toshio Shina, who is the R&D director from Avenue, and Takaya Miyoshi, uh, who handles the European market, uh, the English-speaking market, I suppose. Uh, and thankfully, his English is impeccable, considerably better than my three words of Japanese. And so um, it, was, uh, it was quite a pleasure to sit down with them and, and discuss uh, the product range that is uh, slowly starting to appear in the UK marketplace uh, and also discover some of, the, uh, some of the information, some of the background really about uh, partly the company but also dealing with uh, that type of metal uh, and the benefits and, and uh, the difficulties of working with, uh, well in their case, 0.3mm titanium. Uh, which is obviously a fairly delicate process. So I sat down with uh, these two guys, and between us, we managed to, to cobble together a, an interview which I, I hope you'll find of interest. Avenue is, is uh, certainly well-known on the Internet in America and obviously in Japan. It's a, in a growing market, certainly in Asia, we know. Uh, but we were, uh, your name isn't as well-known in the UK, so perhaps you could just give people a bit of a background about the actual company. Okay. Uh, Evernew Inc. started as a company 60 years ago, but actually it was a small, small factory in the middle of the town from about 85 years ago. And we started to uh, produce metal items, m- mainly steel at that those those days. And uh, we started from two uh, two pillars. One was the, the athletic gears. One was the mountaineering gears, such as... Uh, Harkins or uh, clampons, and that led us all the way to the camping uh, camping cookwares that we have right now. Okay, so um, when did it change from sort of stainless steel and those materials into titanium? When did titanium become the the material to to use in, in uh, manufacture? Camping cookware de ano wareware wa ano alumi sore to stainless o so uh, we had been producing uh, cookwares made uh, by stainless steel and aluminum for, for like 40 years. 
Um, 18 years ago, we have uh, added titanium lineups um, from various reasons. One was uh, the, the weight, the, the durability, and uh, also uh, the eco-friendly part and the hyperallergenic part. And, uh, um, and the unique point was that no one was producing titanium at those days. Okay, so titanium obviously doesn't affect people that may have allergies or problems with uh, aluminium-based uh, food uh, containers and so on, which is uh, probably one thing that a lot of people don't know. But what about the actual technical um, properties of the titanium uh, when it uh, conducts heat and uh, heat is, is applied to it? Um, do you find that the performance of it obviously increases much better than aluminium, as we would say? Titanium compared with aluminum or stainless steel regarding the, the, the heat conducting speed is not very fast. But the, the durability of this metal is super high, so we can use much, much more thinner plate to produce much stronger thing compared to aluminum. So we're using, for instance, for the ultralight series, 0.3 millimeter thick, very thin special metal sheet and for the others, we are using 0.4 millimeters. And that means that the, the heat of the frame uh, goes directly to the contents instead of just being blocked by the metal sheet. And spread around the outside. Yes. Okay. Um, and what about the actual grade of titanium? Because I understand in the world there are several grades of titanium, and it's something I've only recently learned. Japan is the only country who's producing this quality metal sheet, and Chinese people are trying very hard to catch up, but the metal sheets that they're producing is still unstable, and so they uh, cannot do a deep pot with cold press. They have to use the heat press to uh, lower down the durability of the, the product itself, and we are using the highest quality metal sheet produced in Japan. So what are the benefits of cold pressing against heat uh, hot pressing? Well, the, the heat pressing will uh, weaken the, the strength of the metal itself. There are ways to uh, make it stronger with heat, like in swords or knives when you produce by metal. But in, in the case of titanium, if you use metal um, heat, when you're changing the shape, it will just drop the durability. Okay, and now I think a lot of people, um, once they start to look at the brand name, will see the range of products that you produce. Okay. Um, how, how big is the factory? Because it's very easy to assume that it's a huge factory and there's lots of people. Uh, so could perhaps you just sort of give us, paint a picture for people so they can visualize who's, who's working on the, on the shop floor. Well, it's, um, the factory itself is fairly large, but not that very huge as an automation system type of factory. And we have uh, teams per one action. So if we just press the sheet into a pot shape, mm -hmm. down, um, how, how you say Press to make a metal sheet into a mug cup shape. Yeah. And then we have another step to make these lids. The rim, another, yeah. Another step to put on these handles. Uh -huh. And each room is consisted of around 10 people. 
and uh, every every team does only one one action. My estimate then is what sort of sixty people in the company, fifty people in the company, approximately. Yes. Okay. But not 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 all the fifty people are working on the same day. They need to take holidays. So okay. Yeah. About about thirty for thirty to thirty five people are on on stage for the production. Okay. Um, now across the range here that we have in front of us, we have everything that um, uh, from from uh, the mess burner through the different is pots, pans, pasta pots, tea kettles, um, the mugs, but also now we have the um, the slightly thicker, the point four millimeter um, non stick. Uh, pots and they come in a range of sizes from 600 mil up to uh, two or three liters for the large, larger sizes, which I don't have in front of me, so I'm not completely sure. Um, now, tell me about the the non-stick coating because there's been some concerns uh, in the world about the um, the PFOA, uh, which I can't say, but I mean my friend on my left can say the name. Powerful or octan. There you go. You see. <laughs> I fluent in English. Um, so, uh, yeah, tell me about the, the, the coating that, uh, and why it's a better coating than others on the market. So uh, um, this complicated name, uh, PFOA, is uh, sort of an acid, and uh, it is always contained in Teflon or other F-type of coatings, mm-hmm. whereas this coating that we are using is silicon ceramic coating, which has no PFOA in it. So that makes it more durable as well as uh, obviously more... Um, safe. Safe for, for, for people concerned. Because I know there's been some health concerns, uh, particularly with, uh, with children with, with certain types of Teflon coating. That's correct, yes. Um, okay, just finally then, um, as I say, the range consists of probably about 20 or 25 uh, different shapes and sizes and items, all of which are, have got uh, specific features and benefits. How did the, the range come together? Who, who, how did the, 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 the designs evolve into what we see in front of us from your early days? Well, um, if I can make it that very easy, that's from his personal demand. <laughs> he wanted to uh, produce what the items that he thinks he needs for his camping and the range grew bigger and bigger and bigger because he was talking with various other people mm-hmm. uh, look, uh, listening to other opinions and uh, designing one by one adding the, the range to become this big but now we're in the European market and we're getting lots of lots of advices and opinions from many countries so I'm pretty sure that we're going to have larger range in the coming coming couple of years. Okay. And on that uh, final point, uh, when we came in, we uh, we had uh, I think some uh, Sweden uh, people from Sweden here. Um, how have you found the the feedback from the different European countries, the French, the Swiss, the Germans? Do you find that they're uh, interested in specific areas? That uh, certain people are interested in the larger pots, certain in the smaller pots. Uh, just out of curiosity, really. Well, um, I'm still in the learning stage, so uh, I, I don't know much yet, but uh, the, f- the couple things that I felt was the people from UK and France, there are a certain number of really, really stoic, ultra-lightweight uh, direction people. Mm-hmm. And so our customers are like that. So from, from UK and France, the, the demands only are concentrated into the ultra-light series. 
and from the customers of Norway, they're using our pots for the expedition purposes for the North Pole or the Greenland. And they're, they're, they always choose the biggest pots to uh, melt the snow to make water. And uh, the German people, they tend to uh, look, go for the cheaper ones. So they either pick up the aluminum or the 0.4 millimeter for more number people camping purposes. And uh, Switzerland and probably uh, Austria is quite similar, but I still don't know which direction they will go because they are just carrying almost all the range and, tr and test marketing it. And what, what, I mean, curiously, what about Japan? We, we know very little about Japan apart from you, you produce some fantastic quality products and they're, they're usually beautifully designed and elegantly put together. Um, what, what is the outdoor scene and interest like in Japan? Um, in Japan, we have been selling these uh, products for more than 15 years. And so it started actually from the lightweight people, I mean, uh, the ultralight hikers. Mm -hmm. And uh, also the people who, um, who uh, goes for the peak of the mountains. Mm -hmm. um, but now it's already going all the way down to the normal campus. Who, uh, and many of the normal, you know, weekend campers are already using many of our titanium products. Okay. Well, I'd just like to thank you for um, for having your desires and needs to uh, design this complete range, and I look forward to to using it when we're camping. He had been uh, very much helped from the opinions, the demands, the wishes from his customers in Japan. And now he's having more and more opinions from all over the world. So he would very much appreciate it if you also can provide him any sort of advices or opinions or wishes for the future. With over a million listeners worldwide, the Outdoor Station is the leading online audio resource for those into the great outdoors. The MSR range of tents and shelters is well known for their high quality and attention to detail uh, in all of their products. And whilst uh, wandering around the show, I noticed that they, there was one tent on their uh, display stand, which, uh, the shape of which I had seen before. And uh, it was quite uh, fortunate that I spoke, managed to speak to Dale uh, Karikostas, who is the director of Tents and Shelters at Cascade Designs. This particular tent, that uh, when I saw it, what, four or five years ago, I thought it was quite a good uh, idea. Single skin, lightweight, plenty of room, but it had a few little flaws. Uh, so we started uh, talking about that and then went on to a few of the other items which I think will be uh, of interest to particularly those interested in the lightweight market. So as the interview progressed with Dale, as you'll probably notice, we started to get very, very carried away because we were both bivy and tart people. Uh, and so um, he was happy to share a lot of the ideas uh, and plans uh, for 2011 with us. I've seen this shape before from, uh, with an MSR logo on it. But, uh, and it hasn't appeared for a year or so, so here we are with it back on the stand. Tell me the story. 
Well, you know, there's a lot of tents out there that utilize a similar shape to what's either been before or what will come future, but you can make changes to it and it becomes a different tent, right? So, I mean, a car has four wheels and a steering wheel, but you have a lot of different varieties and they're all different styles. So this is a new version of what we took off on what was the missing link, which was the kind of style and shape you're referring to before. Mm -hmm. This now tent is called the Fast Stash. Uh, the Missing Link, still one of my favorite tents out there, but had a few limitations to it. Primarily, it had a really big, long back section on it, which was fantastic if you're using it above tree-lined, gave you a lot of space, but unfortunately, when you were below tree-lined, spaces and camp spots were a little tighter, and so it made it much more difficult to find a good spot to set the tent up. Okay, so if I can just stop you there, so we can describe it to perhaps people that uh, haven't... Uh heard the term or the name of the product before uh, we're looking at uh, what would you say from the, from the side a wedge shaped tent which is supported by two walking poles at the front is that a, a reasonable description yeah it's a, it's a very accurate description of that uh, or you could think of it as kind of a, an old kind of scout pup tent only uh, cut in half so that you enter in from the side instead of entering in from the ends. Okay, and uh, we have a nice uh, porch area, an area that comes over the t front of the door so that should you be going into uh, the, the entrance there, it's not going to be taking water in with you. So I think we've established the shape of it. Now let's, let's talk about some of the features. Absolutely. So one of, the, one of my favorite features uh, about this tent is, of course, we're in Seattle and it rains every so often there. Really? Uh, yeah, that's the rumor at least. Um, so we're going to keep perpetuating that rumor at least. Uh, and, and so we hike when it rains. So we want to have a shelter that we can put up very quickly, that we can take down very quickly, and that we can keep our gear dry in. So you'll see that it has a D-shaped door, but is, is fixed at the bottom. That's really nice because after you get it set up very quickly, and we'll demonstrate that in a second for you, uh, your dry gear goes inside, and you can very quickly just lay the door, which is, of course, completely waterproof, over all of your dry gear, and you now have a place to sit that's nice and dry on top of your gear as you take off your wet layers of Gore-Tex or whatever your waterproof layers are as you're wearing. Then you can take them and set them off the side over here where they're still covered, but they're, uh, they're protected from the rain, but they can still also dry out without getting the inside of your tent wet. So it gives you that nice outside storage area as well. Now, one of the things I think is important to mention here is that this tent's only 1.3 kilograms. So it's still exceptionally lightweight, but the floor plan size of it is what a lot of people would consider a three-person footprint, just from the square footage of it. Yet, we're calling it a two-person tent because we like to make sure that people are having a nice livable experience in the outdoors and not suffering. Because people don't want to suffer in the outdoors. You want to go out there and have a good time. Well, um, we also have wind in this country as well, in the, in the UK, and I think that was one of the, the things I noticed in the previous design. There wasn't a way for the large surface area to be uh, held back under tension should the back of the tent, the rear of the tent, catch a, a, a reasonable force of wind. And I noticed now there's a new attachment point there, uh, and on top of that, you seem to have been placing uh, more bug netting either side of the tent and above it as well, which uh, obviously allows greater ventilation. Yes, we, uh, we definitely added more guide points to the tent to make it really uh, very structurally tight so you can guide out and really make it very storm-worthy. Uh, one of the challenges with the previous design was that it was very solid. There was some mesh to it, but really it was dependent more on the window of the door. There was a small mesh panel in the back. But with this, we've now made both the sides complete mesh uh, and then have designed awnings that pull off to the side that keep it completely covered. So even in really strong storms, you can have the sides pulled open and allow that mesh to really do a good job of ventilating on each side so you get really nice cross ventilation in addition to mesh above the door, and the door also has a closable window that's half mesh. 
So you can really have this thing be a very open, almost a bug netting uh, shelter underneath a tarp, except that it's all one piece. So yes, that was one of the main things we wanted to address was the added ventilation as well. Uh, one of the other key parts too, and you mentioned wind, is that from the side, the previous version that you're referring to had big flat sides. Yeah, yeah. These two panels off on the side actually pull off and shed wind much better as well uh, by tensioning that top ridge line as well as uh, providing you know, coverage from rain. And presumably it also gives you the 90, uh, 90 degree um, tension on the actual vertical poles as well to make sure there's two, well there's three tension points isn't there? There's three tension points on it, so much like you would have a, a telephone pole or a, a radio tower that has guy lines coming off of that, all the seams on this tent act like those guy lines pulling off to keep those uh, poles nice and tight and the tent structure uh, very stable around them. Well, it's certainly worth noting to, uh, for people listening to this who want a tent of this uh, capacity, and it is, has to be said, it is huge. Uh, certainly, I'd agree with you. I'd put it, uh, you could say three people, certainly. Um, is that it's a single skin tent, so ventilation is important, um, certainly with, uh, with humid weather that we're actually suffering at the moment in Germany here at this trade show. Um, obviously, Seattle's different to, to, uh, to the UK, so how do you guys sort of see this sort of product uh, performing in the UK and sort of mainland Europe? You know, the weather in the UK is really more similar to, uh, to Seattle than you would think in that, you know, we do have kind of cool weather, we have lots of fog, sometimes the air is not moving very much at all, and then sometimes you have big gusty winds that come in for us right off the Pacific, for you right off of the Atlantic. You know, we're, we're both on the western coast of our continents. So we do have a somewhat of a similar weather pattern in that regard and temperature-wise as well. Uh, both we experience a lot of rain too. Uh, we test our tents a lot in the Cascades, and there, like I say, it's either snowing or it's raining, and uh, usually not much in between. So we've already had a lot, a lot of nights, uh, many months actually of nights uh, in this tent, and it's just performed great. So I would expect it to do equally well uh, in the UK as well. Um, I can certainly see that uh, one of the rules for adventure racing in the UK is that the, the tent that you use has to have a sewn-in ground sheet, uh, and certainly the, the weight of this is uh, very attractive. But uh, have you got the stash sack to see how big it is when it's, uh, it's, it's crunched down in size, when it's packed away? I do. It'll be a little bit smaller than the one you're going to see here. Uh, but, you know, you can see here that it's probably, oh, about uh, six centimeters around. And uh, length on it is really dependent on the poles. So if you're taking your trekking poles, you don't need this whole long stuff sack. The stuff sack is really the length that it is because of the poles that we're including for people that, are necessar that aren't necessarily hiking but are using it maybe for bike touring or are going to be doing a canoe trip. And they aren't going to take trekking poles with them because you can't paddle a canoe very fast with a trekking pole. Uh, so we wanted to include poles with it to make it more versatile for everybody to use a tent like this. So, so tent on its own, we're looking probably about the size of a loaf, a loaf of bread? Oh, yeah, or maybe even a little bit smaller than that. Excellent. Um, now, the other product that uh, caught my eye, I just saw uh, somebody waving around, is a new bivy bag that's come from you. And this is, uh, I think, going to be of interest to certainly UK users, particularly people up in Scotland. So could you tell me a bit more about this, please? First sure. of all, with the, the name. Sure. So we've actually got two bivy sacks in the line now. Uh, this is called the e-bivy. We did have an e-bivy in the line this year as well, which was really an emergency bivy is what the E stood for. And it was really designed to be super small, compact and light, and really you would just throw it in your pack and you would only take it out and use it when you absolutely needed to in an emergency situation. Uh, now the E stands for essential because I think it's really the essence of what a bivy sack is. I made the coating a little bit lighter on the top. It's still a silicone fabric here, but made it a little bit lighter weight coating so that it breathes better, so you get less condensation on the inside. Still has a 10,000 millimeter coated floor on the bottom for high water repellency as well as good durability and abrasion resistance. 
uh, but wanted to make the top a little bit lighter weight. There's no mesh to it. It's just a very simple bivy sack with an envelope-style opening at the top. Uh, very long, uh, designed for you to slide in towards the bottom. The opening will sit right where your head is, and then there's still space at the top for you to throw your rucksack in the top uh, to give you that extra storage space and keep it nice and dry. Uh, it's really super, super light. Uh, you're looking at about uh, 200, uh, uh, 200 uh, grams. And then, uh, and so really designed to kind of be used either in, I would say, heavy condensation, dew, emergency situations, or underneath a tarp is that perfect little add-on piece, because I'm a big tarp camper. So I like to sleep under a tarp, but have just a little bit of extra protection just in case. And that's really where the, the e-bivvy, or the essential bivvy, comes into play. Well, you and I are both talking the same language, because I'm also a tarp user as well. And there's uh, certainly great demand for a bivvy bag, which is water repellent, water resistant, not necessarily completely waterproof uh, because you do get the horizontal uh, variety that tends to come under sometimes. You just want to protect yourself and protect your down bag uh, without having to worry about the um, compensation you have to have with the breathability over waterproof material. Now, is it the same material in this new bag as well? Uh, no, the new bag is the AC bivvy or all conditions bivvy. Oh, okay. So much like uh, instead before we had one bivvy sack, it kind of had to do everything for us. Mm-hmm. So it was a little bit more waterproof, not quite as breathable. Now I've made it more breathable, which of course means it's a little bit less waterproof. Right. So I brought a new bivvy sack into the line that could be used completely standalone by itself without a tarp in bad conditions, and it's our all conditions bivvy. Now it's still going to be a minimalist bivvy. There's no hoops added to it or anything else which add extra weight or bulk to it. Because uh, if you really want to keep it off of your face, you could wear a baseball cap or something with a brim, and that keeps the, the materials off your head. So this one is made of a uh, polyurethane-coated, waterproof, breathable top, still your 10,000-millimeter bottom, fully taped seams, and because it is all conditions, and we realize that some of the conditions out there are bugs, we do include a, uh, a mesh layer over the opening, too, so you can protect yourself from biting bugs and mosquitoes. So that's the new, it still has the same format, same shape as the eBivy, only done with a fully waterproof and breathable top layer and the mosquito netting on the top as well. And this one's going to come in at 450 grams, so still exceptionally lightweight, especially for an all-protection, all-conditions bivy sack. Okay, well, two final questions, I suppose. Um, we're looking at them at sort of a, a, a dull yellow, I suppose, the colors of the materials. Um, are the colors, these are the colors of the materials uh, the products are going to come in, including the tent, uh, and when will they be available in the UK? Absolutely. Uh, these are the colors. Uh, the, we wanted to go with something that was a little bit brighter because we know that people that are out there going super lightweight and kind of pushing that envelope out there uh, you know, th- th- they like something a little bit brighter just, you know, because you want to be seen. Hey, look, I've got really cool new gear. Uh, but at the same time, we didn't want to make it garish. So we did try to keep it more of a mustard yellow and not necessarily a bright neon yellow. Uh, the AC bivy is a little bit brighter of a yellow, and that's primarily because of the coating that we're using to the inside that is that waterproof breathable is a white coating. And so when you have that white shining through that mustard yellow, it makes it a little bit of a brighter color to it. So it's actually the same color base material, but that added white color to the background, is it? Now, one of the things that I did want to point out, and I, I hate to jump back to the uh, Fastash, which is the name of the tent that we're sitting in right now, uh, but to me, one of the things that's most important about camping, and one of the reasons why I love tarps in general, is because you get to see everything that's around you. You, you hike, you go the extra distance to see that, to see that summit or to, uh, to look at the river or the lake you're at. 
And if you're in a traditional tent, you have to zip the vestibule down when it's raining and nasty. And as you can see here, we have a huge door that you and I can both sit in together. We can cook our meals right outside the tent, but still be protected while sitting inside of our tent. And we have the great view right here opened up. The tent's called the Fast Dash because we very quickly can drop the poles, completely collapses down, so we can go off on a hike, leave all of our gear stashed inside, safely and secure and out of sight, and completely waterproof and protected. We come back, pop the poles up, and it literally takes five seconds to reset your tent up, and you're back under your safety of your shelter. So uh, it's really fantastic. And the sides that we talked about before that provide that added uh, protection strength of the sides covering up the mesh can also be rolled up in really nice weather to give you great flow-through ventilation, or you can pull them into the side and they serve the purpose of closing off that window when you want that extra warmth built into the tent as well. So what I love about this tent is it takes a tarp to a whole new level in giving you bug protection, full access to views, as well as incredible ventilation and the ability to stash your gear and reset it up very quickly. Okay, I'm almost, I'm almost pressing hard on the checkbook. Uh, when's it going to be available in the UK? It'll be available January 1 of 2011. Well, that pretty well brings this podcast, the final one from Friedrichshavn, 2010, to a close. And I'd like to thank all my guests for contributing to the show, to Tammy, to Toshio, to Kaya and Dale. Thanks very much indeed for their time and their input. Uh, Rose and I have now got to do an assortment of uh, planes, trains and automobiles to, uh, to get back home. But I'm sure that when we get home at uh, Sunday evening, uh, they will start again on Monday morning and catch up with all the paperwork and everything we've missed for the last few days which is such fun uh, when we're just feeling so shattered. It's, uh, it's been fairly pleasant weather, as you've, uh, as you've probably picked up over the last few days. Very warm, so warm, in fact, it's been uncomfortable to, to sleep in the evenings. But on a crowded campsite um, with several hundred of the people, some of which want to party until late in the evenings or very, very late in the mornings, probably. In some cases, it's been uh, somewhat tiring. But uh, this is what you have to do to um, find out what's going on in the international market. Anyway, folks, that brings this one to a close. Many thanks indeed for all your feedback and so on. If you do have time to, to vote for us, if you'd like to vote for us in the European Podcast Award, please uh, follow any of the links on the Outdoor Station website or the Backpacking Light website. Um, I think there's still time to vote on that, and that would be greatly appreciated. So, until next time, take care out there, and, uh, well, enjoy the sunshine. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To hear more from our extensive free library, please visit the website at theoutdoorstation.co.uk. You can now follow The Outdoor Station on Facebook, where we chat about each program we produce, answer questions, and discuss future productions. Why not join us there? This podcast is produced and hosted by theoutdoorstation.co.uk.